Welcome to STEMiverse podcast episode 30. In this episode, Peter and Marcus talk with Stephen Holm. Steve is the associate pastor of Life Foursquare Church in Decatur, Illinois, USA. He also teaches part-time at Decatur Christian School in Forsyth, Illinois. Steve has a Bachelor's of Science degree in Mission Education from North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He has over 30 years of teaching experience in various settings, including teaching various math and computer-related subjects. Since 2012, Steve has operated a light and sound Christmas display with over 40,000 lights on more than 300 networked circuits, syncopated with Christmas music and broadcast on a low-power transmitter for people to enjoy. The show runs every night in December and is a special holiday event for hundreds of families in the community. The private school where Steve teaches is expanding its curriculum to include STEM subjects, including microcontrollers, robotics, and programming. Steve is creating the curriculum for the Arduino Masters class by gleaning from various sources and materials. Steve is a teacher who loves to learn. This is Stemiverse Podcast Episode 30. Welcome to STEMiverse, the podcast that helps educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. I'm Peter Dalmaris, and with my co-host, Marcus Sharpe, our mission is to bring you the experiences of educators, students, and stakeholders who strive every day to make the teaching and learning of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and art better. This podcast is brought to you by Tech Explorations, a leading provider of educational resources for makers, STEM students, and teachers. For a limited time only, go to texplore.com slash STEMiverse and receive Peter's latest ebook, Maker Education Revolution, a book about how making is changing the way that people learn and teach in the 21st century. Well, Marcus... Nice and early morning. Yes, it's a good change. Lab. It's a good change. <laughs> so normally we have our podcasts in the afternoon, but this time is a bit different because our guests is pretty much in a totally different time zone. Mm-hmm. So it's eight o'clock here in Sydney, and I think it's three p.m. in uh, in Illinois uh, of the United States. Um, so I'd like to welcome you, Stephen. Uh, Stephen Holm, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's a great honor, and I, I appreciate you guys even. Uh, inviting me to be a part of this. It's a, to me, this is a wonderful, wonderful exploration and learning journey for myself, learning about STEM. And uh, it's just, like I said, a great honor. I feel like I'm in over my head, but I'm having fun. So uh, the, uh, we, we are actually, we are very excited to have you on. As I was saying a bit earlier, we think that you are a very good representative teacher who is now going through a very interesting learning journey in your efforts, in your best efforts to support your students in a very, very similar journey. And we believe that there's a lot of teachers out there in your shoes. So we are here to learn from your experiences. Thank you. Uh, I, I think you had asked me to tell a little bit about myself. I'm uh, married to my beautiful wife, Linda. We've been married for 34 years now. And uh, we have three grown sons who are all married. I have a little granddaughter 
And in January, soon, we'll have our first grandson. So that'll be two grandchildren. And uh, of the of the family, my wife actually taught, taught kindergarten for uh, 14 years. And then of my first uh, group of married sons, the uh, three of them are involved in teaching in public school education. One is a English as a second language teacher. Uh, his wife teaches fourth grade education in a public school. And then my other son uh, teaches in St. Louis, Illinois, which is near here, a big city, and he teaches at an alternative uh, school, middle school, high school students. And uh, then his wife teaches at a college. So we've got lots of teaching going on in the family. Our youngest is uh, headed on to PA school and his wife works in a bank. So we are, uh, we like teaching, we like learning. So, Did you plan for all that, your whole family to be involved in teaching or did just things fall in place? You know, my, my, career job is I'm a, a pastor or an associate pastor at a church. So uh, education, of course, in a Christian setting is, I mean, that just goes hand in hand with being in ministry. You're always teaching. But our sons, when they went off to college, um, they all had a desire to get involved in teaching of some sort. So it's been really fun to see that happening. So. Great. Did you want to take a few minutes to tell us a little bit about like your first steps um, into education? And if you like, you can take it back to your past days. I'm not sure if that's still something that you do and how that eventually led you to where you are now, you know, getting into the STEM education world. Sure. Uh, actually, when I graduated from college, my wife was hired as a kindergarten teacher at the church that I went on staff in ministry. I'm still in ministry to this day. So my teaching in the Christian school is a side job, even a hobby job sort of for me. And then my main career job is still in ministry. But um, in the earliest days of that, there was somebody that had donated like a candy Radio Shack color computer to the school. And it came in a box with used books and manuals. And and I just, I, I just ate that up. I sat down, I read every page of the manual. I read the copyright information. I just read it all. And it also <laughs> taught me how to program in basic. So this is like the late 1980s, somewhere in there. And I, I just continued to show uh, great interest in those kinds of learnings uh, with, with uh, learning, not just programs, but about the computer, the components of the computer. I'd take the screws out of the case and look inside. And, you know, all of that stuff was happening in the very beginning part of my computer learning. And, and so all along the way, I've been mostly in the Windows world until probably about 10 years ago when I got a MacBook Pro, which is what I'm using today. But I run VM Fusion because I had such a heavy investment in Windows stuff so I can run Windows on my Mac and get over to the other programs that I had kind of cut my teeth on. So uh, all of that together has um, really been rewarding for me. It's, it's like a creative release when you have an idea in your head and you can make the program and make it happen. And, and that has always kind of uh, really been intriguing to me. Uh, along the way then, with the current thing that has brought me into STEM, uh, maybe five or six, seven years ago, I was speaking at our church about Christmas time and how uh, Jesus is the light of Christmas. And I showed one of the videos of like these um, syncopated music and lights, things that people have done with their homes. 
And I made fun of that in the, in the thing I was talking about. And afterwards, uh, the pastor said, I think we should do that here to do a community kind of event and reach out to the community and do something fun. And he put me in charge of it. And, uh, <laughs> and I went after it and, and they gave me a really healthy budget and I, I bought the, the hardware and dove right in. And so it's running, it's running. Well, let's see, it's, it's right now. Local time is, uh, just after 3 PM. So in about an hour, it'll be up and running and people who I don't know will drive up and tune in their radio and listen and watch the lights go with it. We've got about 400 circuits of lights running. And then another, I don't know, I have uh, 12 of the LED light strings that are programmable. And uh, that's on top of the other circuits. And so it's quite a big show. We've got uh, about uh, 200 feet of space across and maybe 50 feet deep. And it's just lots and lots of action going on. And, and it's just fun. I just get a kick out of it. So when that, that kind of baited the beginning of it, when our Christian school had a college group come through with Arduino last year, and they tossed the LED, blinking LED sketch out there for the kids to learn. And the school uh, took a hold of that. And uh, when I heard that Arduino was coming into the school, I had already bought an Arduino for myself. Actually, I got one for Christmas a couple of years ago and learned it. And so I volunteered to teach. And then, then it was like, what are we going to teach? So that's where I kind of intersected with everything you're teaching. And uh, it really helped me kind of figure out my way, I guess, is that, if that makes sense. So the light show, which runs now, rooted to the connecting of what you're doing. So, Yeah. For the audience, what is Arduino? Arduino is a little microcontroller. Um, it's like a little computer, but it doesn't have its own operating system. But you can, can, you can program it, and then it can interact with things like motors or lights, or it can pick up from sensors like sound or temperature or things like that. And you can together uh, program with software what the information coming in or going out ought to do. So it's also kind of the this cut-your-teeth beginning part of a robotics program that our school wants to explore. And so by getting kids touching the components, learning the components, learning how to program, interact, and tweak the programs, I think they're, they're going to feel more in, in control when it's time to start dreaming about what kind of a robot Mm-hmm. What kind of robotics, what kind of programs do we need? So Arduino is that microcontroller. So that sounds something like a something only an electrical engineer could do. How did you learn how to do all of this? Okay, so if I can say baby steps, that's the only way I know to say it. Um, when you begin this journey that seems so big, you can break it down into little pieces, little steps, and then just go a lesson at a time or a few minutes at a time. I, I think if you if you could take the, the largeness of learning about all of these big things and break it down into little tiny slices, then it's manageable and it feels like you can really get this and master it. And uh, for me, that's how it was. Again, when the Arduino kit came, I opened the book, I read every word, I did every experiment until I was to the end of the book. And then 
you begin to get ideas in your head about what you can do beyond that. What was your first Edwina kit? Uh, it was from Vilross, and it had about uh, maybe, I don't know if it maybe had 25 experiments you could do with it. And the very first thing was you take the little Arduino and you take an LED and you set up a little circuit with wires and a resistor and you program from your computer to tell it on off while well, there's like a default program that you can work with. And then you start tweaking and you start dreaming from there and it just grows bigger. But actually the light show is a huge blinking LED <laughs> system. That's all it really is. It's just huge, you know. When you did the light show Christmas, let's call it gadget, light gadget, did you expect that a few years later you'd actually be teaching what you've learned? Because I understand that, that that project for you was the first big project and you learned a lot from it. And that eventually led you to your pastor suggesting that you take on the teaching aspect of this as well. Right. So the school and the church are two different entities, not connected. So I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time when the class coming up for robotics was being talked about. But no, I had no idea that I would be really, I think, privileged to be able to go into the classroom with all of this electronic equipment and almost be handed a dream to say, teach these kids. And so I've got four students. It's not a huge bunch. I planned for 10, got four. And, uh, and now I think in the next semester, there's, I have four boys, young men, 16 to 18 years old. And I have a girl that's going to come in in second semester who's been hearing about stuff and wants to get into that class. So I had no idea that this would be where. And I still think we're at the very beginnings of what will be, you know. Um, I'm curious about how the school works because uh, my understanding of how the educational system in the U.S. works is kind of vague. I understand that there is a standard curriculum, but then various schools, depending on the constitution and how they're set up, uh, they are free to pursue their own curricula and design their own curricula. Could you tell us about how the school in which you teach uh, is made up and how you choose what you teach? Sure. In our in our setup, we're a, Christ, a private Christian school, so we don't have the same common core structure imposed by outside. We create from within what is the curriculum. So in the case that I teach there, the curriculum was said, would I teach this particular class or something? But with Arduino, because it was brand new and we haven't done anything with it, it was, would you teach this and develop the curriculum? So for me, that became really, really freeing, but also a little bit daunting, which is what's led me to start doing other research, because mm -hmm. I didn't want to just get into the classroom and run through the, the experiments and then run out. And then I, I wanted to be able to really give them a foundation that's going to go into a, a whole lot more. I have another teacher in the school who has taken the students through the uh, the manual and is now teaching them Java or JavaScript. Hmm. And uh, so his his uh, manner of interaction with it is now heavily into the coding philosophy side of what goes into this. I'm still on the components. We just did uh, today uh, the uh, four-digit, seven-segment display, which is like mm -hmm. the readout on your clock yep. or a scoreboard or something like that. So today, and one of the kids was also working with a chip 
and he said his, his program wasn't working. So I went over to check his work, and he had the chip in backwards, and it was on fire, hot. It was so <laughs> hot, and I burned my finger when I touched it. And I said that chip's in backwards, so we had to flip it around, and then another wire needed to be there, and then it worked. Another student found that wire that was missing. So it is absolutely the beginner level of something that I think is hugely impacting our yeah. great potential. Pretty excited about it. I wonder if you have total freedom essentially in that school. You're not bound by curricula externally imposed. You have total freedom. Why do you think it's important to invest so much time and effort in electronics or dinners when there's a lot of other things you could be teaching at the same time? So I think I think it's captured the imagination of the administration and uh, when they saw the students' great interest in electronics and ha and the word the word STEM has kind of lifted in the awareness of the culture so that we don't want to miss the boat on something that could be technology-related that could be so freely, uh, not, not freely, but readily accessible that seemed to be something that could also capture the heart of the student because a lot of students see great interest in electronics mm -hmm. and, and we thought we could put that together and maybe create something. Um, STEM for me is, I mean, I love the fact that students can get these things in their hands, take them home on the weekend with an assignment, make something cool and come back and show us what they've done, you know, mm, is really projects. exciting. Yeah. Um, and so I was going to ask, uh, sort of unrelated to the STEM side of things, with such a free curriculum, how do colleges assess your students going into them? Yeah. Because it's not as if everybody's working on the same or against the same curriculum, the same syllabus. Right. So uh, I will say that it's not free as in anything goes, you can learn basket weaving and graduate. There, mm -hmm. there are still the science and English requirements that are established uh, under uh, what's called I think it's ACSI, American Christian Schools International, which has standards and ethics of education. It just doesn't happen to be that it is the, the public realm that is telling the Christian realm how to do education. One of the things I think I value uh, in Christian education, I, I had a question that I ran across in a book one time that said, some people are asking what makes Christian education Christian but a better question to ask is what makes Christian education education? Because if it's yep. not education and it's it's all under the mask of, of some other title, then we aren't really truly educating. And so I love that our school is truly doing the educational component as well. And though it, 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 it sounds as though the thing could implode because it doesn't have the external public layer, it does have internal drive for true education. So it's not a lost cause. It's a very successful system. I will say too that all of my sons went to a private college and one, uh, one went to a public um, community college for a little bit of time, had no problem. Actually, generally they excel in the public realm for maybe just the reason that expectations of getting your stuff together as you're in school Mm -hmm. pays out when you get out of school. Maybe that's part mm -hmm. of the 
the secret formula, you know. So your, your school is very grounded in that case, in like, let's say, the, the secular world in terms that so mathematics is still mathematics and electronics sure. is still electronics and your graduates still need to operate in the outside of the school world in terms of getting jobs, studying businesses, not operating like uh, normal people in a normal world. So I suppose that's Correct. the kind of education that you provide and you ensure that they get. Right, that is true. And of course, we have multiple teachers in this setting. You know, you've got the science lab, you've got, you know, physical education, you've got the different teachers covering arts in different subjects and things like that mm. as well. I wonder about the students uh, that join your classes because uh, as I understand it, uh, it is their choice to join their classes. Uh, they have to put their hand up and say, I'd like to learn electronics with Stephen. Can you tell us about them a little bit, perhaps the background center? If you're having those discussions, what is it that draw them to your classes and what do they want, what do they hope to do in the future with the knowledge that they gain? So being this is the first time it was ever offered, it was uh, a new electives option for uh, high school students to choose. So if they were unaware that there was a robotics option, then they wouldn't have even known to sign up for it. They would have come to the day of registration for school and looked things over, and that would have not necessarily been something that they would have recognized. That's why I was hoping for 10 students. And I would talk to different students since then and I have a number, I've had a number of students say, man, I wish I would have signed up for that class. And I'm excited for that. The unfortunate thing is the clock is ticking and they're, you know, they are not in there, but they'll have another chance if they're under, you know, the age of a graduation year, uh, they'll have another chance again next year. And I think it will just grow. So none of these students took the class because of me being the teacher. They took the class because they were interested in electronics. Mm. And there are three more in the other group. So it's it's just fledgling. It's just at the very beginning. Yeah. And of the seven, I think there's only one of them in the other group that even is looking for a career in this type of field. Right. I think the rest are hobby interested. It looks cool. And they liked the day that that college brought those little kits for them to play with. So why do they join? Uh, is it because they like electronics and they have a curiosity, a particular skills? Is there a role model that they saw yeah. that's doing this? Or? I, I think it's because they like electronics and they mm. want to learn. Because when I see my students uh, doing in the classroom what they do, plugging in the wires and working on the program, tweaking the program, whatever, there seems to be great enjoyment on their part mm. in it. And uh, then I've had where their assignment was to take it home, build something cool, take a video, send it to me for credit. And you can see there is enthusiasm in that. And then I have one, one who, he has a Raspberry Pi, which is another kind of little microcontroller computer. And he had already begun learning how to program a little bit. He really doesn't know that very well, but he shows the drive to hmm. go outside of the box and learn more and more and more. And so it's fun to see, it's just fun to see them take initiative and uh, take the sketch, which is the little program that you upload, take the sketch, change the sketch, make it different, tweak it, change it, and maybe break the code and mess it up and then have to go back and fix it. 
that's all it's all good you know so what kits are you using to teach with today or have you made your own kits from various components uh, uh the school ordered uh 20 elegu arduino knockoff kits they're the mm-hmm. they're elegu e-l-e-g-o-o and uh, i think they cost maybe the third of the price and they come with more parts but when you plug it in it's recognized as an arduino in the arduino integrated development environment program uh, so it sees it as Arduino, but then all the components that you get in the kit, there's really more than was in the beginning kit that I had. So it'll have other things like an ultrasonic distance sensor, or it'll have a motion detector sensor, or a water level sensor. Those things weren't in my kit. And of that, the school bought 20 of those kits, and we had seven students, which means if we need double parts, we can go grab them out of the main supply and kids can do expansion on the things that they're learning. And you just got this off Amazon? Uh, the school did, yeah. That, yes. The school had gotten a grant from a local, uh, some local industry here had given the school some money for technology and that's what they put into buying these kits. And I think there's uh, still the potential for us to grow this. They have actually asked me, this is kind of interesting because of running into the Arduino step-by-step program and the parts that are in the Arduino step-by-step that aren't in the kits that I already had, I have ordered those parts so that I can round out my understanding. And the school now wants to find out what parts am I buying so they can buy those parts so that we can keep expanding the system. It's like almost like creating a maker space in the classroom that you put away every day. That's the part I wish mm-hmm. we had more time where you could just leave it to be, you know. So what is Arduino step-by-step? That is uh, the course that Peter um, Delmars with uh, Udemy and Tech Explorations has put together. And uh, in that, you go from beginning, like you just started from the beginning and learn, actually, it's really labeled well, step-by-step, you go piece by piece, slowly through an entire, really wide sweeping understanding of uh, components, parts, actuators, different kinds of programming techniques, even examples. And, and Peter has included video. And he has also included, as he's doing the video, uh, the development of concepts on the video. So if Peter did something, and maybe he didn't plug the wire in right, and then he caught himself not plugging the wire in right, he left that in the video, which is so freeing for somebody like me who plugs the wire in wrong and can't figure it out and then realizes everybody plugs wires in wrong. So we can fix that and we can keep going. So that's Arduino step-by-step. So I've, I've got an admission to make. Whilst yes. I have access to Arduino step-by-step, I've never actually watched it. <laughs> Big boy. Uh, okay, sign I- up. So how have you found it? Like, uh, would you recommend it to other... So you have to go out of the room, Peter. <laughs> I'm, feeling uh, too, I'm starting to feel a bit uh, awkward yes, right I, now. <laughs> I do recommend it, and I did recommend it to the other teacher. And um, I think it's the best. Remember, one of the things that I went into this was no knowledge, great enthusiasm. And mm-hmm. so I didn't know how I could go into the classroom to teach what I had no knowledge of. And I I needed some sort of scope and and sequence that was going to get me not just the confidence, but the understanding and the awareness of where we were going. 
And then I could say in front of the students, I don't know everything about this component, but here's how I know what to do with it. And then when we get into snags, I have them look on online. I say, Google this part and tell me what it's doing here. And, and they'll do that. And it's really mm -hmm. fun. So uh, I highly recommend. And, and Peter, I think you just updated that. Is that correct? You just did a brand new you know, <laughs> version of yeah. upgraded videos and all that. Yeah. So the, the latest update to the course uh, was published in early November. So that uh, totally, like every lecture has been updated, and also the course has been expanded. Uh, so, uh, but I'm still working on that. So yes. still, it's always a work in progress. I've got a lot more lectures to produce and um, update as well. So, getting there, take me a few more years. But <laughs> um, I probably finished the advertising segment right here. <laughs> oh, no. I'll just say, go, go get it on Udemy. It's uh, amazing. Old texplore.com. Yeah, I've got my own school. And uh, actually, my own school has got uh, an expanded, adjusted version of Adina Step by Step specifically for teachers, which is the one that Stephen is going through now. Uh, it's got more activities for students and um, additional helps, help for teachers and students. I do realize I am putting you on the spot here, Peter. <laughs> And we have not discussed this beforehand, but you, you'll do a coupon for our listeners or something like that in the show notes. Contact me. Yeah. Contact happy, happy, happy to um, uh, discuss a dinner step by step with any teacher that would like to use it in the classroom or for their own education. So. Sorry to spring that on you. <laughs> um, yes. So I was going to ask Stephen, outside of a Duino step by step, what have been the really good resources? Because there's quite a few out there that I know of. Sure. So... With the kits that we bought came manuals for the components that were in the kit. Mm -hmm. uh, what I did actually is I, I took that manual and I put it in an Excel spreadsheet and I said, these are the lessons that are in the kit that we bought. Then I took the one that I got for Christmas a couple of years ago, the Arduino from Vilros, and I put those lessons. Then I took all of the lessons from Arduino step-by-step -step and put them out. There's like 160 or something like that, more, maybe 170 or 80 lessons. And I put those in a spreadsheet and then I sorted and matched to try and get them so that they were corresponding. And then I made my, what I'll call my actual classroom lesson planning so that I could feel like I'm drawing from these other sources while also going somewhere and I'm, I'm headed somewhere. And soon soon we'll be headed into the Bluetooth and, and then getting their little Arduinos online. So I've got the stuff. I bought all the pieces that they need to get them going. We just have to get to those spots. So what I've done is researched wide, but organized in one row so that I can finally get somewhere. And then each week when I make my lesson plans, I fix and adapt for the timing, maybe something like today, Today, most of the class hour was trying to solve that one kit that the kid had the chip in backwards. So it took a while for this to get there. So you you chew up your time and then you're done. But for, for the places that I'm getting it from, it's mostly the manuals that come with and then the step-by-step uh, -step curriculum, which has helped me tremendously. I like how you came back to the burning chip uh, because this is something that I wanted to focus on for a few minutes. Then I want to talk about the, the bigger picture for you, and that is your methodology, your principles 
behind your teaching style. So in regard to the burning chip, what do you think that the student learned out of it is quite unique for a school when you know you go into a history lesson, you learn facts, right? And then you memorize them and you can recite mm-hmm. them. But now you've got a student that is working on a circuit that clearly is not working and then they've got to figure out why. And in your case, eventually it was a chip that was placed incorrectly. And what was the chip? <laughs> clearly well, what, 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 what did the student learn out of this? Do you want to know the chip? It was a 74HC595, uh, which only a few people will hear about that. But yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to route the signal from the Arduino into his display. Yeah. And by flipping it backwards, he was heating up the inside of the chip without sending signal out. And uh, only did I, I, I could have I known it, but I knew it when I touched it, we had a problem. What did the student learn from this mishap? Because I learned a lot like that as well. I've learned a lot of chips in my life. So I'm hoping he's learning that you troubleshoot and you can actually, you can plug a chip in backwards. That's one thing you could learn. Hmm. And learning how to identify which is the right end of the chip, where is pin number one, Yep. as he learns that. So I'm not sure that we, I still feel like we're still in the, this is the next component, this is the next component before they begin to truly get to the point. I called my class Arduino Masters class. And I told them, I want you guys to be masters, not just show up and follow the sketch and then forget. I want mm-hmm. you to master this. So I talk to them as if they're geniuses all the time. You guys are my geniuses. <laughs> and I need you to figure this out, you know. But in terms of the recovery, like I can imagine by the time that you discovered the fault in the circuit, the student was getting upset and um, uh, I can't do this, it's too hard. Why isn't it working? I'm following the instructions precisely as they are in my instructions. It's not working. And then discovering that the mistake was fairly simple. Like I'm, I'm just from a psychological point of view for a, you know, like a young child that is developing at that point, what, what kind of lessons would that teach recovering from mistakes? So this guy is 17 years old. So mm. it's not a young child yeah. that's figuring okay. it out. One of the things we suspected was that the wires were not making good connections because mm. we plugged them in so many times. We don't know if we are goofing the wires up and, and that wasn't the case. So trial and error, learning how to troubleshoot, not beating yourself up if it doesn't work, knowing that it ought to work because the other three students have it working you know, it, yeah. those kind of reinforcements. And then I'll say, you know, randomly, I'll say, help him figure that out. And then they'll go over and work together. Right. So that the students will help each other. The students become teachers. You had a podcast early in that your guest said one of his things was C3 before me. Do you remember that way back? And uh, I have put that slide in my keynote every day. C3 before me, so that they go with that. Now, that's not necessarily what happens, but that is in my, my setup. Well, you need more students. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they can have right. more teachers. So, true. Yeah, I do find like all these bugs. I think that's one of the great principles of STEM education and electronics in particular. Which, that's where the Arduino excels as well, mm-hmm. is that it gives you the opportunity to make mistakes, which yeah. a lot of educational toys these days, toys, sorry, tools. <laughs> don't give you the opportunity to make mistakes because everything is just engineered so that mistakes are impossible. But with the Arduino, I was going to say, you can make mistakes. 
why did you go with something like the Arduino? You're in the land of, I guess, little bits. I'm not sure if you're aware of little bits. <laughs> Uh, coming out of New York, which are magnetic circuits that snap together and pretty much just work. You can't get them round the wrong way because they will, the polarity of the magnets is such that they will yeah. not attract. They're foolproof. Yeah. Oh, well, to an extent. So there's a lot, it's a trend, I think, in education where, as, as you said, that chip being placed the wrong way chewed away a lot of the available time for the class. And there is a problem in a lot of schools where you've got this many minutes available and the teacher has to help out 20 students. And if everybody's having issues like that, then there goes a time and they don't feel that you've taught anything. So a lot of the educational tools is they are made in a way that these types of errors are eliminated. So is building, opportunities. Is building resilience through trial and error worth it? I think so. Yeah, I, I do wish we had more time in the class hour. I have 45 minutes. By the time you get in there and get set up, troubleshoot or even set up a circuit and get it loaded, it's time to go. So yeah. if I could make it perfect, I would probably have a two-hour class period for the robotics class so that you could really get somewhere and then change whatever needed to be changed and fix whatever, explore get them thinking outside of the box, yeah. that stuff will be great. You can't rush some things. They, they need to take time and they need to, yeah. the, the school or the teacher needs, as a mentor, needs to make that time available. It's one of the responsibilities of the mentor is to create the environment that is good for learning and so that the children can, or the, teach, the students can achieve um, their outcomes at the after. I was going to ask, uh, have you seen the SparkFun Inventors Kit? Uh, SparkFun Inventors? No. I did, though, just buy a SparkFun Robotics chassis, the Shadow chassis. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, so I'm aware of SparkFun, but I don't have the Inventors Kit. I haven't seen that yet. Okay. The Inventors Kit is an Arduino kit, and it's one of the top-selling Arduino kits in the, in the world. What... I would highly recommend you do, even just for free, is have a look at the SparkFun guidebook, which comes with the kit in written form, but you can also download it as a PDF. And I know quite well the, the education team at SparkFun, and they wrote a fantastic, uh, I guess, teacher's curriculum and teacher's guidebook and manual uh, around Arduino, and it's all... I guess aligned to the public curriculum outcomes and what have you, but it's a tremendous resource. If you're in the US, you could just lift that right up and I guess use it straight away, yeah, anyway. all for free. Yeah, it's all on the web. It's all on the web. Yeah. So learn.sparkfun.com. The other thing I'd recommend is there's a company called Canakit, C-A-N-A-K-I-T, and they're based out of uh, Canada. And I noticed that they're doing a promotion at the moment where if you are based in Canada or the United States, why not? Uh, you can send them a purchase order for zero dollars and get a free uh, Raspberry Pi kit, which is really? in you know, over a hundred dollars. Wow, this is wow. So yeah, um, you guys should check or make advantage of that if you're in the U.S. and an educator, not affiliated with us in any means. It's just That's something I noticed that, that yeah. it's quite useful to you guys. I appreciate both of those tips and I will chase them both down. 
Um, Stephen, I just, I'm mindful of the time as well. We try to keep our podcast for about an hour, but there's one more very important question that I feel like I have to ask, and that is uh, about your teaching philosophy. So you are teaching a very technical subject that's got a lot of, uh, if I can call it subject actually, let's say principles, uh, engineering, electronics. It's got a lot of various aspects to it. Uh, we touched a little bit about the why. Why do you think that it's important to teach Adenos electronics, etc., to your students? Uh, a little bit about how you do it, but I'd like to ask about your principles of education in general. Are there any guiding principles that you follow and that perhaps you can tie that with your experience as a pastor in the church? I think that's also important because it must inform you some way and somehow uh, to do what you're doing now. So are there any such principles that you follow? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I, I truly value is um, seeing the student as an individual and uh, affirming them as an individual in really strong ways, telling them how much I really love and care for them as people. Uh, I treat my students, really, I treat them like adults. I, I, I treat them quite as, a, as an equal, not as an equal as far as we're all on the same level here, but as an equal as a person. I will still say, hey, I'm going to be the teacher and you guys be the students and let's get this going. So there's not a loss of control of the classroom, but there's always an affirmation from me. And if it ever comes to where we've got to pull this together, I, I think I treat them in a way that somehow they work with me. We, mm-hmm. we get to where we need to go. And I really think that's important as a teacher is to always speak life into your students, whether it's in whatever class you're in, including electronics, you can you can speak to them in ways that cause them to feel like they can do this, then that they're not a lost cause or something like that. Yeah. And then the other thing is, I think I'd like to teach what I learn. I, I said to a group the other day, I said, I think I'm a learner that teaches, or I'm a student that teaches. And I learn and I learn and I learn and then I get up front and teach a little bit with a group and then I go learn and learn and learn. And to me, that helps me always keep a perspective that we're all learners here and uh, we're all growing here. And especially in this curriculum where it's all brand new for us. Would you say that uh, the principal job of a teacher is to learn so they can teach? I do think so. And you teach from your heart. Uh, you got to have your head full of information. If it's not there, yeah. I don't know what you're going to teach, but you teach from your heart with your head full of information. I suppose those principles don't just apply to STEM teaching, STEM-related teaching, but anything, right? Whether you're teaching religion or geography, would you advise that any teacher learns from those principles? Yeah, I think any teacher ought to fall in love with learning I consider myself a lifelong learner. So I'm right now I'm 57 years old. I don't even think I've begun to learn. So I just want to keep learning and growing. Uh, I read a book several years ago called Thinking Better. I can't remember the author. Thinking Better was the name of the book. But it talked about different ways in which our minds process information. And at the time, I was trying to learn a foreign language, Spanish. And I read in this book 
that six-year-old kids in any culture basically have between four and 6,000 words of their own vocabulary at work, okay, that mm. they're at their disposal. And in my mind, I thought, if I can learn four to 6,000 words of Spanish, I can talk like a six-year-old in that culture, which means I could get through the day, what, whatever. So I started to realize that learning, learning can have sub goals. I don't have to write a Spanish dictionary. I just have to communicate at a level that communicates. And same with, I think, with, with all of this, with, with this STEM, I, there's no way I'm ever going to know all of STEM, but I can learn enough to communicate so that we can inspire the next generation to learn how to operate whatever is in front of us at the moment. And I, I can't wait till we get done with the components and start to think big picture. Now, how are we going to put this together into a system? What are we going to make? What are we going to do? What dream do we have to yeah. come up with? So I think for all teachers, go after the heart of learning and then go after the heart of your student. That's awesome. Wow. Um, speaking of books, you just mentioned one. I think that's the name of the book you just uh, spoke about is Thinking Better. Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, suppose you read a lot. So would you recommend uh, maybe one or two more books to our audience? It could be education-related, STEM, I think whatever. another book that I, obviously, of course, I'm a pastor, so the Bible, you guys, come on, you know. Yes, but, uh, absolutely. Beyond that. <laughs> but you can walk into a hotel um, and you can pick that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the other book, I think, I, I read uh, a book called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Uh, he was a mm -hmm. chess player that went into martial arts. And uh, he's the, I think he's the the boy in the movie, looking for Bobby Fisher or something like that, the chess yeah. uh, champ. And when I, when I read that book, I realized here is a chess genius who at some point in time, he flipped over into another career or another, uh, another science of art or learning, another art, uh, another whole discipline. And there's a point in the book where he was, still doing playing chess, of course, and then doing martial arts. And he was in some big chess competition place. And he was going down the line where he's playing against all the people in the room. And he's walking down the row of tables and moving, 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 moving. And he got to the end and he spun around to go to the second table. And he felt like he just did like a Tai Chi move, okay, <laughs> when he spun around. And his, he realized his brain had connected two huge pools of thought. It was chess with martial arts. And, and it freed him up into thinking a whole bunch of new concepts that just had not even ever been considered by him before. So he talks about in the art of learning how to, how to grasp concepts, but also how to cross-pollinate from one part of your, your understanding to a whole other area, which is, I think, another thing that I'm enjoying about this whole electronic stuff is because even with, if I can go back to the Christmas light show, every song, I've listened to so many Christmas songs, you guys, I can't even explain how many Christmas songs I've listened to. But what I've learned is songs and music have segments to them that that create a feel and through lights, I'm now, I'm now 
timing out lights in segments that go with a song. So not only do you hear the song, you feel the song and you see the song. And to me, that's all part of it. So really the science, technology, engineering, math in the light show, I've got to do all of the, the math to get everything timed out right. Hmm. The engineering, I have to build all these pieces and parts that physically are sitting out there doing the science would be messing with the weather or messing with rodents or rabbits that chew on their wires and things like that. And, and uh, all of it pulls together into this huge, what I'll call it like an art form that the average person just looks at and is entertained by, but it's huge Mm. in the coordination of those ideas. So if I could take that into Arduino land, where are we going here? That's kind of exciting to me. Yeah, I think that's a great strength of STEM education is that its ability to combine what formerly would be different disciplines and will be taught individually. But now you put them all together, it's like that kung fu moment mm. uh, of the chess yeah. player that you mentioned earlier, where you finally see how it, they all fit together and why they belong together. That's quite awesome. Marcus? I'm just having a terrible thought about uh, rodents and uh, Darwinism and 220 volts and unintentional no, teaching it's, revolution. It's, it's 120 volts in the US. 120, that's right. That's that, 220 in the UK, 240 why, here. Uh, yeah, I finally 120. learned why uh, there's uh, 120 volts in, in the US. Tell me why. Yeah, it seems like in the US there was a lot more copper available at, and at cheaper prices during the time of um, electrification and that allowed for less losses uh, in the wires. Right. So the so in the US they were able to go for a lower, safer voltage when places like um, the UK especially, which were, was one of the first parts of the old world, world to be electrified, mm-hmm. electricified, I'm not sure which one is right, uh, copper was more expensive. Uh, harder to find, so they had to make the wires thinner, mm-hmm. and that would mean more losses in transmission, so they had to go for a higher voltage, which right. was also more expensive. And that's why in the US, I, I haven't seen any switches in the outlets, whereas in Australia, um, UK, etc., there are Ground. switches, and that's because oh, yeah. before you pull out the plug, you want to switch it off so that you don't get arcs, yeah, things yeah. like that. So <laughs> Because that's the voltage breaking down the, through the air. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, anyway, different story. I've got one more question, uh, Stephen. People that have inspired you to do what you are doing today throughout your life, as a teacher perhaps, or as, um, you know, as an individual living the life that you believe is, is um, you know, the best life that you can live, can you name maybe one or two people? And they, also, they could also be fictional. They don't have to be real. Because we do, sure. we are influenced a lot by fiction too. So I, I, of course, have listened to the other podcasts and knew this question was on its way to talk about. <laughs> and I, I do recognize as well what you've talked about in others, the, the whole idea of Star Trek and Star Wars playing into the imagination of people who are signed on somehow with STEM in a stronger way is true for me as well. I really, really liked Star Trek as a kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have thought about that often as technology has become more and more like in my hand. It's been amazing how much reference in my memory would go back to those TV shows. So that would be fictitious, but uh, real 
in its impact. Hmm. Uh, I think the other is my dad. I, I think my dad was kind of like an inventor. He worked at a company where he worked on electronic electronic thermocouples, where he would design uh, thermocouples. And uh, he was uh, a draftsman and an engineer. And later in life, after he retired, he picked up model railroading. And uh, I just, uh, I talked to my wife about all of these ideas that are going through my head. And I said, I think dad would have loved yeah. Arduino. <laughs> I think he would have just gone after it. Yeah. And uh, so I think his kind of creative, inventive mind somehow runs in me. And uh, I really, really value that. And and I, I wish that he could see, he's passed on now uh, about six years ago, but I wish that he could see what's going on. Because I think he'd get a kick out of it, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think he wouldn't even mind incorporating some of this into maybe his model railroad layouts and things like that. That would be cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so yeah, my dad be awesome. <laughs> and Captain Kirk and Captain yes. Picard. Uh, Picard. Picard is actually my favorite, but uh, before I knew about Picard, it was Spock. So yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. for me, Spock. And it's funny, I'm trying to get my kids exposed to Star Trek uh, because I think it's important as part of their home education to be watching Star Trek. Um, and it's Spock is, at least for my oldest son, is the, uh, is the one, is the influence. I <laughs> actually is. <laughs> no interest. No interest in Star Trek or Star Wars. That's I can't believe it. Not cool. <laughs> no, I think I have to wait a year or two. Are you no, talking no. about your kids, not yourself? No, my, my, my son. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No <laughs> it's fun and amazing. You, you need to drill it into it. It's not instant. It takes time, especially because kids today are a bit spoiled with choice. And, mm. uh, there's so many other things it could be doing. So Star Trek is a little bit involved. The culture is not is not an action movie. So it takes time to to understand it. But yeah, keep keep trying. Keep yeah, trying. <laughs> I'm all good. Well, thank you very much, Stephen. It's been an, another thank you. awesome discussion because we, we've talked about, uh, we've had discussions uh, in the past, but this one was special. We're able to touch on topics that um, were very important to us as well and to me personally. So thank you for uh, the time that you've given us. And um, if people want to get in touch with you, would that be okay with you? And if yes, how can they do that? So probably the easiest way would be just my email, and uh, that would be shohm61 at gmail.com. We didn't talk about the brand of the Christmas lights control boxes. <laughs> That's a Lightorama thing. So if anybody had questions on Lightorama, yeah, I could yeah. at least say my experience on that, which we don't need to talk about that at all. But that would be one thing if they had questions about that. Is there a video somewhere? Um, that we can also link to our show notes so that people can see the show light? Yes, I will. I'll send you links to that. Sure. There's we'll a set that. of videos they can look at. Yeah. That would be great. great. People will understand what what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. sure. Great. Well, thank you again, Stephen, um, for making the time and for this very interesting conversation. And uh, I look forward to talking to, you, to talking to you again in the very near future. It's been a great honor. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. That's all for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions, please send them to our email address, questions at stemiverse.com, and we'd be happy to answer them. Do you want us to interview someone in particular? Let us know.
visit us at stemiverse.com to get the show notes of every episode. And subscribe on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Stemiverse. That is S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.